Hey, my name is Lucas, and I want to welcome you to the official podcast of Coastline Young Adults from Coastline Church in Victoria. This podcast is dedicated to encouraging you in your faith and helping you apply it to real life in real time. Here you'll find messages from our weekly service at Coastline Nights and other conversations where we talk and tackle what it means to be a follower of Jesus in today's culture. Everything you find here will point you to the truth and hope of Jesus. So grab a beverage, enjoy the message, and lean into how God wants to speak to you today. Good evening. How are you doing tonight? Hey, thanks so much for being here. I, I did meet some new people in the atrium, and I'm just grateful that you're here. And again, if you are new, uh, we really want to connect with you. Welcome here. My name is Lucas. I'm one of the uh, pastors on staff at our church, and it's just an honor to serve you and be with you tonight. Uh, we are finishing up a series called Force Love, and the whole, the whole point of this, the whole point of this series was to really just unpack and, and wrestle with, maybe is a better word, kind of the idea of what it looks like to try and be in relationships in in our current culture. And so we've talked all about all sorts of things. And I really felt, I hope you know, um, it's not like it's you know a burning desire of mine or I, Pastor Adam or like every pastor's job or our heart to like, let's just talk about relationships. Let's talk about this. That's really not it. I really felt like, you know, the timing and the maturity of our group and this, this, this excuse me, service time really, it really felt strong. And we really felt like this is a time where we could unpack what are hard topics. And so I'm just grateful that you're continuing to come, that this series has encouraged you. Um, again, forced love is really this concept where we don't want to just rush into a relationship. We don't want to rush into it and, or push love or dating or whatever it is, intimacy, togetherness in places that it's not meant to be. Uh, we talked about how the Bible even says, guard your heart above all else. Above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life, meaning that so much comes from it. And so we actually, God calls us to protect it, to, to allow him to be the one who guides it. And so sometimes in our culture, sometimes in our churches even, right? Uh, we made jokes about how the church will do this too. It's like, oh, you're together. You've been together two weeks. One of the babies coming, right? Like we kind of push agendas and we push culture. We push, whether it's rom-coms or music, whatever it may be, there's so many things in our world, in our day, and in our in our reality right here, that really kind of become this catalyst to just be in love or be in relationship or find the one or find your soulmate, whatever it, it may be. And so I just wanted us to back up, say, whoa, 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 okay, everyone take a deep breath and let's just understand a few things before we get to that. Know your worth, know your value in Christ. Allow your heart to know how much he loves you and he sees you. Uh, understand what happens when we connect with one another. There's wholeness to be found. Everybody desires affirmation and wholeness and healing. We started with the very first week, if you go all the way back, we said it starts with Jesus. It really starts with a relationship with ourselves and where that is and how do we find a great foundation and it starts with Jesus. And so we've talked dating, we've talked marriage. I told you the time that I told my wife that she stinks and needs to have a shower when I was trying to get her to go to the bank with me at camp. I've embarrassed myself. We've talked about all sorts of different things. And ultimately, we come to this point where I, I realize, and I'm sure you realize too, that whenever you talk about relationships, whether it's a TED Talk or a sermon series, whatever it may be for you, that there is a situation we find ourselves in. And it's that relationships are messy. That there is risk involved when it comes to getting into a relationship with anyone. That even in our families, like parents, mom, dad, brother, sister, spouse, whatever it may be, the closest, even just your best friends, maybe you're sitting beside them tonight, relationships are messy. That every single one of us has struggled when it comes to love, when it comes to 
like I said, relationships, like we struggle with holiness and, to, and togetherness and dating. For some of us, it goes much deeper. For some of us, it's, it's more challenging. We have this relationship with sex or pornography or whatever it is. We've taken maybe emotional steps in relationships that weren't reciprocated. And so that's created new, like elements of trauma or challenge. We've, we've had moments of fights with mom or dad, like I said, that don't feel that can be reconciled. Relationships are messy. And sometimes they feel forced on you. Sometimes you didn't even feel comfortable in a relationship. Whatever it, whatever it is for you, I just want to say this. And I'm not holding back tonight. I'm not going to leave you hanging. I just want to say from the top of my sermon, there is no relationship too messy for God's redemption. And I think at the end of this series, if I really ponder about everything we've talked about, everything that we've hit, all the ins and outs, all the cultural pieces, all the Christian pieces, all of it, I'm aware that there's still this small piece in us that feels this little bit, maybe it's guilt or shame, where we talk about the things we've done or we, maybe we use the word, I don't even think we actually did, but we talked to maybe it's about purity or sex or something like that and it just feels like, man, I just don't know if I'm great at this thing. Maybe I'll just be single my whole life. Maybe it's just easier to do it that way. I don't even like talking about relationships because it makes me, it reminds me of the loneliness that I find myself in. And I just wanna share with you Let's just take the, the dating piece out of it. Let's just every relationship in our life, family, friends, we're all those pieces. There is no relationship too messy, too, too messed up, screwed up, whatever it is, that it is out of the plan that God has for redemption in your life. And I don't, if we don't tie the bow with the series with this, then we'll really miss it, won't we? We'll miss the power of God. We'll miss the beauty of how he really takes every single thing in our life, as messy as it can be, and says, I can make something beautiful out of that. I wanted so bad to break a pot as an illustration this week, but then I wouldn't be able to put it back together as good as God does, so the illustration would have sucked. So I didn't do that. I, Pastor Adam will tell you, I was like, what about this? And he was like, that's, like, that's not going to work. What if I painted and then created a mosaic of, of stained glass? He's like, you suck at art. Don't do that. And it's true. He's not wrong. I, I do. And I think you, you're seeing the point here is that as we unpack what are heavy things, for sure, Delmar is right. God is so much stronger. He is so much bigger than our circumstance. He sees every person in here and he sees every relationship. He sees every mistake made. And he says, there is redemption for you. I think often in moments like this, we can feel frustrated. We can feel unlovable. We can feel down. And I just want to say that tonight is for you. And I want to tackle a piece of scripture that, you know, I haven't actually read this scripture in a long time. I know I preached it once, maybe five, six years ago, but there's something really powerful here. And we're going to be in Genesis 29. And I just want to give you a little bit of context as we get there. We're going to read a story about, about Jacob. And Jacob is kind of one of these main figures you'll find in, in kind of Jewish history. You'll see him as he comes kind of down the line of Abraham, Isaac, and then it's, it's him, it's Jacob. And, and in this moment, you'll... If you read the story, I kind of, it's Genesis like 25 and up, you'll see that he steals his brother's birthright, like quite literally steals the blessing, the double portion that the father would anoint and pray and bless over his sons. He steals it and it becomes such a fight that he actually has to flee because his brother's gonna kill him. He, he, he runs from Esau and he kind of is headed and trying to find and figure out life. And in this, he wants to be in a relationship. He wants to find love. He really does. And so he runs and he finds some shepherds and they meet. He realizes it's kind of connected and there's distant family involved. And the Bible says that he sees Rachel. 
He sees Rachel, this woman, and he is so impressed by her. Her beauty is, it, 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 it captivates him in such a way that he walks up and he kisses her hand and he cries. Can I just stop for a second? That is, the pastor is not telling anyone to see, hold on, okay. If you see someone that's pretty or cute or handsome or whatever it is, don't walk up to them and start crying and kiss their hand. It's not a good, like, not a good first move. I would not, that, I'm not prescribing, so this is not in the notes. This is, doesn't matter. I'm just saying, don't do that, okay? Just don't do that. I want that on the record, on the podcast. I said, don't do that. And later they have a bit of a conversation and they head back and she, he goes to meet uh, her father, Laban. And the Bible says this, we find ourselves in Genesis 29, starting kind of the second half of verse 14. After Jacob had stayed with them for a whole month, Laban, this is Rachel's dad, said, just because you're a relative of mine, so there's family involved here, should, should you really work for me for nothing? Tell me, what, would your wage, what should your wages be? And so now Laban had two daughters. The, the name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. That's the girl I just mentioned. The Bible says that Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Now, that, that seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? Um, there's a lot of commentary on that, and to be honest, we're not really sure exactly what the Bible's saying in that. It could quite literally mean that she has bad eyesight. It could, it could mean that she's blind. It could mean, it could just be a really nice way of saying she wasn't as pretty as Rachel. Honestly, the, the jury's out on this one. Like, we really don't know exactly why it's saying that. But what we do know for sure, and almost all the commentaries I read this week on this specifically is saying that there is tension between the sisters, that one is clearly prettier than the other, that one is older than the other, that they, neither of them are married, and there is tension in the house Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for seven years in return for your younger daughter. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than some other man, so stay with, here with me. Like, <laughs> so I've, I've actually sat down with my father-in-law and asked for my wife's hand in marriage, and he was like, I'd, I'd be proud to give it to you, and it felt good. Can you imagine that? I'd love to marry your daughter. Better you than other dude, I guess. Like, not a lot of confidence. Jacob's like, thanks, Dad, I love you too. Like, he doesn't, there's not a moment there. So the Bible says this in verse 20. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed only like a few days to him because of his love for her. That's cute, right? It kind of sounds like a little Princess Bride action. Anyone think of you know that movie? As you wish, kind of notebook worthy. I wrote you a letter every day for a year. That's what it reminded me of. It kind of feels that way, doesn't it? It feels like this moment of like, I'm gonna give you whatever it takes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be there for you emotionally. I'm, I'm gonna serve every, and you know what? It will feel like a blink in the eye because of how much I love you. I'm not gonna lie to you. The story turns ugly real fast. Verse 21 says, then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I wanna make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a massive feast. But when evening came, he took his other daughter, Leah, and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zippah to his daughter as the attendant. When morning came, there was Leah, exclamation point, boom. You don't see a lot of those in the Bible, by the way. It's not like Archie Comics, where it's like every sentence, there's an exclamation point. It's not like that in the Word of God. This is, this is like, uh, what? This is a big deal. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I've served you for Rachel, did I not? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish, finish this daughter's bridal week and then we'll give you the younger one as well, as, as long as you give me another seven years. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah 
And then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Billah as well to his daughter Rachel as their attendant. So Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And then he worked for Laban for another seven years. This is messy. This is not good. Laban is not a good guy. He is using this idea. It's interesting. He uses this word of like, he sees the love that Jacob has and he begins to use it to manipulate the situation to better who? Himself. Jacob, he, he throws him into labor. 14 years it took for him to finally really truly receive his, I guess seven years and then Rachel, but still like 14 years total. Why? So that Laban could receive such great labor. He threw Leah into a relationship. She's not married yet. She's his older daughter. And he wants, of course, her to be married. Why? Because he doesn't want to have her on the house anymore. He threw Rachel into what? Into waiting longer and longer and longer. He has manipulated and forced relationships for the sake of what? For love? No, he forces the whole situation. He manipulates people instead of allowing love to be what it's meant to be, this beautiful place of security, of patience, of joy, as it's described by God. It's so painful to even hear the whole story. And I know what you might be thinking. You might be thinking, like, this is silly. This must be just allegory. Like, what's, what, like anecdotal or something. This is, this is odd. Like, Jacob wouldn't really do that. He wouldn't, he wouldn't, listen, if you understand the customs of the time, the bride at this time, there had been lots of partying, for sure. Like, week-long parties were Jewish weddings. So there's lots of alcohol, lots of stuff's happening. There's people everywhere. The feast is going on, but the bride stays completely veiled, uncovered and unseen until that moment when they're together in their bedroom. And so, like, for sure, there's a possibility that he's so, he's had enough alcohol and he's, it's dark enough that maybe he doesn't see who it is. Well, why would Leah go along with this? Why would Rachel go along with this? You have to understand that the father at this time held absolute authority in the home. And so in this moment, he finds a way to give both of his daughters away, released of duties of being dad, as well as gaining free labor, if you will. Friends, I'm aware that all of this seems to be done for what? Just a little bit of work on the side? Rachel put up with it, Leah went along with it. It feels like it's hard to understand. I just want you to know, when you read through the Genesis accounts and you see from Genesis one and two, we get this beautiful design of what God says marriage is supposed to be. And in literally chapter three to 50, we see how not to do it well. We are not, I'm not endorsing polygamy here. This is, this is not right. We see this continually backfire for children, for relationships, for spouse. Someone is deceived. Someone is always hurt. And this is why I believe that love kind of needs a beautiful standard. It needs to be held by God in a high, beautiful, sacred place so that we really know what we're talking about. Because right here, it's like, well, he worked for, he loved her so much, so he worked for her and he gets Leah, but he continues to be with Leah, it seems like. Does he not want to disrespect her? Is he doing it for the sake of love of his father-in-law? Friends, don't settle for a love, listen, less than you deserve and less than what God wants you to have. And I think I see a lot of settling here. I see a lot of like, well, we just have to, we'll just make this work or what's gonna happen. But when we say love is, is, is just, you know, love is what you make it, love is love or this and that, friends, who defines love? What is love? Friends, the Bible makes it so clear that God is love. This is what love is, that he would lay down his life for you and for me. Friends, love. 
can be defined in many ways in our culture, but can I tell you, it is Jesus who truly brings this beautiful force of love into our life unlike anything else. And when he is your definition, when he is your source, when he is your foundation, when he is the thing, the sight that you have on the understanding of love and grace and redemption and mercy, you begin to treat yourself and friends and family and people with a love that's, that's truly unconditional. Love, joy, and peace are at the heart of all Jesus is trying to grow in your life. And all three of those things are incompatible with hurry and rushing it and forcing it. It's patient, it's kindness, it's, it's gentle. And we don't see that in this spot. And so now we have this really ugly situation where you have a man who's married to two different women who are sisters. Rachel, who is, who is second, he clearly loves her more. Leah, who is really feeling unloved. You'll actually see it in the scriptures here. And I wanna key in on her character for a moment. Verse 31, it says, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved. Another version may say unlovable. I'm aware that sometimes we feel this way. I'm very aware that for many of us, as I read that out, for some of us, we have felt that before. And it rings true in our heart. The Bible says that he actually enabled her to conceive. But Rachel remained childless. 32, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben. For she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. Reuben truly means Actually, like the literal meaning is behold, a son. And this is a big deal, the firstborn to be a son. This, she's probably thinking like, I've done it, yes. This is, this is what it's gonna take. Jacob's gonna be so happy. We got some descendants. We got, we're building the family. He's gonna, of course he's gonna love me now. And he doesn't. He doesn't love her more. We don't see any, any clear indication of that. She just wants affection and love. Instead of affection, she receives more rejection. Rejected by her dad, and now rejected by her husband. Verse 33, the Bible says that she conceived again, and it just goes like this, like one after the other. She conceived again. When she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, there it is again, he gave me this one too. So she named him, Reuben, or excuse me, she named him Simeon. Simeon meaning the one who hears or to listen. God's hearing me now for sure. Two sons, back, here we go. Jacob's gonna have to love me now. He's gonna have to accept me now. He's gonna have to, like, now I'm gonna get the affirmation. I may not be his favorite, but I know he's gonna at least tell me he loves me or he's proud of me, or at least there's gonna be some sort of, of moment here. The Bible gives us no indication of that. She wants affirmation, she wants affection, and she continues to get rejection. There's verse 34, again, the Bible says she conceived. So clearly they're still together. Clearly Jacob is, I don't, whether he feels like it's his marital duty to, to, to make love to his wife, whether he feels, who knows? Maybe he's, we don't really know. We really don't. Again, she conceived. And when she gave birth to his son, she said, now at last, here, now, this, this now it's gonna happen. Finally, my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So he named him Levi. Levi to attach or to join or to connect or to bring unity. That's the meaning of his name. She wanted affection. She found rejection. She wanted affirmation to be heard and she was again given rejection. Now she wants connection. She just wants him to talk, to, to be heard, to be seen. Three sons and again, 
cold shoulder. This sweet poor woman pushed away from her father, thrown into a relationship. Look at this situation, Coastlineites. It's a mess. Jacob lied and deceived, living in anger, living probably in frustration. Rachel lied to and now forced to wait. So she probably, like, honestly, the, some commentators say that she waited so long that she became barren. She couldn't have any kids. So now not only is she the most loved by her husband, but she can't have any kids. And so you gotta know there's frustration there. Leah just wants a husband, just wants someone to love her for her, to be connected with, find affirmation. And even, friends, when we force love and we face reje- rejection, God's love creates a plan for redemption. I need you to hear this. This really is true because I want to show you this. I want to show you what happens to every single one of these people in the scriptures because all I see is a giant mess. All I see is a complete mess, a failure of like every single person, mad and frustrated. The only guy who seems to probably be happy is Laban. He's got two daughters who are with someone and he's got 14 years of solid labor. That's it. Last verse. Last verse of this story, last verse of tonight. Hear me when I say this, this really matters. Verse 35, it says this. She conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. She didn't say, surely my husband will, will find affection for me. She didn't say, surely Jacob will receive me now. She didn't say, surely Jacob is who I need and, and how I need it. Like, she didn't say any of that. She said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah, and then she stopped having children. Let me just explain how this all finishes up, how this wraps up, and in, in, in tie a bow in this. You see, Jacob, this all started from what? A fractured relationship with his brother. That's why he ran, right? And so he runs from his brother. He goes to try and find love. He's hoping to find it. He meets Rachel, and yet he is completely deceived. But it's interesting because the name Jacob really talks about being separate or uprooting. It talks about kind of an independence from God. But in this whole journey of meeting Rachel, of meeting Leah, this whole journey of meeting even Laban, it actually forces him to have that moment, which many of you, if you've read your Bible, you know this in Genesis 33. It talks about when Jacob wrestles with God. That he has this moment where he's so frustrated at his life, at love, at all these pieces, that he has it out with the Lord. He wrestles God, and he fights whatever it is, this inner demon, this thing that's going on, he fights and he's actually renamed, which is a significant thing in the Bible. And he goes from Jacob to Israel, representing an independence from God as Jacob to a dependence on God, representing his community. He meets his brother, if you read his story. Scared he's gonna be killed, of all the things that have happened. And the Bible says that Esau saw him and opened up his arms to him graciously. Sweet Rachel in this whole story met someone. But the the truth about Rachel is that she wasn't all that excited about being a wife. That actually wasn't her pursuit. She's always wanted to be a, a mother. And the Bible actually says that in the whole scheme of things that God opened up her womb and gave her children. And the Bible actually quotes quotes Rachel later in Jeremiah 31 that she can be heard weeping for her children. She dies in childbirth, if you can believe it. But she's able to be a mother to the most loved children of Jacob, Joseph and Benjamin. Joseph becoming one of the greatest people to rule Egypt, to be a part of it. And she gets the one wish she really wants, which is motherhood. 
Her greatest desire wasn't for a spouse, but for children, and she was able to have it. And then you have Leah. How can you redeem this lady? How can she go from from what she was to what, like, how does God really intervene here? Through Leah, friends, the hope of humanity comes. Through Leah, the savior to all the searching comes. Leah becomes the the, the mother of, of, of Levi and Judah, the two strongest tribes in Israel, the, the Levites where Moses and all these people would come from and Judah where Jesus would come from. So you have to understand that, that this sweet person who felt unlovable gives birth to the one who would love everyone. That the very person who felt like no one loves me would actually be the person who gives, who, who's able to actually create the line, create the lineage of Jesus, the person who would say, no matter who you are, no matter how unloved you feel, I'm going to die on the cross for you. She actually bears the burden that we all carry, yet she's, she is the very person, who, her, her, her burden really becomes our greatest treasure, church. That even in this crazy storm of life, God gives her this beautiful gift and says, through you, Leah, through the very person who did not feel love, who was not seen, who felt invisible, I will make sure, I will create something. I'll bring Jesus, the hope of the world, to make sure that no one ever feels unlovable again. And every person now has an ability for a redemption plan. Friends, there is a God who loves you. He can redeem any and every relationship there is. We just have to learn to put our pride aside and allow him to work on us. The Bible says that she didn't praise Jacob, that she praised the Lord. And that changed everything for her. And I think when we focus on his love for us, I mean, talking about Jesus, we start treating those who maybe haven't loved us well in ways that they don't really even deserve. I know for me, as I reflect back on this series, and as me and Trina even talked about it after we shared our story, the amount of times I messed up with Trina is beyond reproach. Like, I think you guys saw it. I had some people ask me about it when we were sharing our story. I broke up with my wife once, right after I gave her a promise ring. (laughs) I laugh, I really do feel so bad. I really do. I hate sharing her story because I often feel like I messed, messed it up. After me and Trina broke up, I wasn't a good person. I remember having to come back to my wife and share all the stupid stuff I did, both sexually and morally to different people. I really felt like a massive screw up. But you see, in, in moments of coming back together, We were able to not come together to create something, but we had gone close enough to Jesus that we understood it didn't matter what we had done apart because apart we found wholeness. Apart we found a love greater than we ever could have given each other. Apart we found a love from God that created a foundation in us to reestablish a connection and see each other through the lens that God had put in our life. 
And so I had to stop actually. And I, ha- and I, and I, I, I say like I do feel bad, but truthfully friends, like I don't, I don't keep thinking about the regrets or the, the, the decisions I made. I focus on Jesus. I focus on what's in front of me, which is an incredible woman of God. I focus on what God has done for my life, how he has redeemed my heart, how I am not my past mistakes, sexual or not. I am my future self. I keep looking ahead for God has a plan for me because he's been there every moment we sang tonight. Did you hear that song? He is there past, present, and he's certainly gonna be their future. It didn't seem like he, ha- he was there for Leah, but he created a redemption plan. It didn't seem like Rachel was gonna ever have kids, but he created a redemption plan. Jacob didn't know what was gonna happen with his brother, with his wives, but he creates a redemption plan. Church, friends, young adult, old, whoever, wherever you are, there is a God who sees you and loves you tonight. And it doesn't matter about the past because of what he did on the cross. It just matters now. If you're willing to say, I'm gonna stop forcing love and relationships and this and that all around me. And I'm just gonna start with the one relationship that matters most with the one person who isn't forcing it. The one person who's saying, I died on the cross for you. I love you. I'm for you. It's yours to receive. Your choice. As we end tonight, and this is not a segue, Pastor Luke. You don't have to sing this, but I, I can't help but think of that song that we used to sing a lot, and now it's become like Christian taboo to sing it, but it says, I don't have time to maintain these regrets. I don't have, my, I don't have time to think about what, what I, I once did when I think about the way that he loves us. That when I think about how much he loves us, how he has died for me, his grace for me, covers a multitude of sins, the Bible says. When I focus on that, I don't have time to think about what I did because I'm so focused on his love and redemption for me and my relationships now. If you had past girlfriends or boyfriends that you're not together with anymore, that you feel like emotionally you really committed to, he can redeem that. He's not gonna hold that away from you from your future relationships. He's gonna work through that with you. Do you feel like maybe, listen, without sounding too, um, without creating any sort of standard in here, do you feel like maybe you've given part of yourself away to someone you you feel regret in that, friends? He will redeem and restore and refresh and replenish and he will give you everything you need. He can fix that. Do you feel like you've had a fight with a friend or a sister and it's actually gotten so bad you don't text, you don't, like you used to at least just send some gifs back and forth or gifs, whatever it's called. You had at least that. You had at least memes back and forth and and, and that's not even there anymore. He wants to restore that for you. He wants to redeem that for you. You are not unlovable. You're not invisible. You are his son, you are his daughter. He loves you, he is for you. He's died on the cross for you. You just have to receive that love. It's there for you. Can I pray over you tonight? Jesus, tonight we wrap up a series, a series on love, a series on all sorts of things. But right now we declare in the house that you can do so much more, that your love is so much greater, that you, have continu- you will continue to bless us in ways that are so much more profound I just pray that we would run to you, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would choose, that we would make a decision tonight. I pray that every person in here 
wherever they're from, whatever their background is, would know that there is a God who sees them, who knows them, and loves them. Jesus, tonight, I pray it would not be about past mistakes or regrets, but it would be about the future, the road ahead, the, the faithfulness of, you, of your love, God, can restore every single relationship. So right now, as I've written some down, as we still our hearts in here for a moment, I pray for the person who has a really difficult relationship with death. When they heard the name Laban, when they saw how Laban treated these people, and even in the scripture tonight, that they instantly they felt frustrated and angry. Jesus, I pray restoration over that relationship. I pray that there would be a grace upon the heart that feels callous tonight to be first not open to death, but open to you and that you would break, bring breakthrough in their heart tonight to understand that it wasn't fair and it's not okay, but Jesus, you have a plan and you can restore. For the person in here who has a fractured relationship with mom or another relative, maybe a brother or sister, I pray, Jesus, there would not be a, a forcing. I pray there would not be an extra trial to like, I have to make this work because, but Jesus, tonight, I pray they would recognize maybe what, what happened in that relationship. Mostly I pray that forgiveness, forgiveness would come over the families and friendships that feel broken and fractured in here. I pray for the person in here who feels like they've given so much of themselves away, whether that be emotionally, whether it be mentally, whether that be physically, they, they don't feel like a whole person anymore. They feel broken, they feel shattered. They feel bruised. Jesus, your Bible says, your word says, that is by your stripes we are healed. And I pray for healing and wholeness over every heart. I pray for freedom for the person who feels like their heart is shackled, that they can't actually even open themselves up vulnerably because they've already done that once so much. I pray, Jesus, that they would know right here that you see them and know their very story and you are rewriting it in Jesus' name. That it is not written in pen or ink forever, but in fact, Lord, you rewrite stories. That's what our testimony is. And so for the brokenhearted person in here, I pray that they would feel mending in Jesus' name. For the person who feels so heavy, like a heart of stone, I pray for a fresh heart, a new heart, like your word says. For the person who feels like the road behind was so messy, there's no way there's a road ahead. There is. Jesus, we know there is. And I pray right now you begin to pave it. You begin to make it. You would show them that every person in here is lovable. That every person in here has a God who loves them, that is for them, that is writing their story, that no past relationship dictates their future ones. But our God is stronger and mightier and greater, and he is rewriting stories even now. So give us the courage, Lord, to run to you, to your love that is so much more significant, so much more powerful. Lord, we trust you. We release all this to you. Redeem us in every relationship. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, come on, everybody said.